Breaking the cycle to step forward. Authentic conversations from lived experience and a professional perspective in overcoming abuse with Chris Tuck and Beverly Ann. Hi everyone, this is the Breaking the Cycle to Step Forward podcast number eight. And today we are discussing movement and the benefits of that. I'm Chris Tuck and... Hello, I'm Beverly Ann. So welcome everyone. So we would like to thank everybody before we start for commenting on our other podcasts on the channel and we will get back to each and every one of you. And if anyone has got any suggestions for future podcasts, we would love to hear from you. Yes, absolutely. And I'm actually look, getting excited and thinking about guests that are going to come and join us for our 30 minute podcast. Although that will be a challenge in itself because we struggle to keep to 30 minutes and with a <laughs> guest as well. <laughs> but that's what's lovely about this because it's authentic talking yeah. and from professional aspect as well. So it's lived experience, which makes a big difference. It does indeed. So we are going to talk about movement today. So what does movement actually mean, Beverly? Can you explain to everybody, you know, what is it and why is it important? Well, personally, I like the word movement because movement to you and movement to me can be two very different things. And that's very much um, about our ability, what our choice of movement is and exactly where we are physically and emotionally because we keep talking about this connection and I know for me years ago when people kept talking about exercise when I was feeling chronically fatigued and people talk about exercise straight away in my mind's like you have got to be joking I haven't got the energy to get up let off the settee and now you want me to go to a gym and work out yeah but it, what I like with the idea of movement is actually it's about exploring further and, and acknowledging what's right for you and your body and being able to check in because we talk about checking in with our body physically but this is another area how do we do that yeah it is so again I did a little bit of research just to make sure we get the definition right and it is exactly as you've explained it movement is just moving um, at a pace that is suitable for you to whatever um, activity floats your boat, gets you excited, um, reduces stress, gets that, um, that buzz going through the body. So whatever it is. So for some people, it's going to be very active. And for some people, it's going to be more meditation, more relaxing. So there's a whole spectrum of what movement actually looks like. Absolutely. And, and Chris, this is where your forte professionally because you are into fitness and Pilates, etc. But it, it gets me thinking. So, for instance, I'm a very active person in everyday life. And some of the science that, that we understand, and we're just going to share here again for those people so that we can be really clear, because I know it used to be really confusing for me. I don't know about you, Chris, but when we're um, constantly being on alert when we're stressed what's happening in our body is it gets triggered for the fight or flight um, modality that we hear about so what happens there so the amygdala releases the adrenaline 
and our body automatically tenses. So it gets us ready. Can you imagine if you're going to punch someone or if you're going to run? So every muscle in our body is tense. And I'm very aware of that. And we always recognize our shoulders and our neck and our backs. But one of the areas that is often overlooked is the tops of our legs. So even now, while people are sitting in the chair, if they're sitting listening right now to us, I'm going to say to them, just check in with the, your thighs and just release them a little bit more because even when we think we're relaxed often we hold stress there because we're we're tensing and it just highlights what's going on physically in our body there's also a lack of oxygen and blood moving around our organs and this is actually reflected in our digestive system so when people say they've got irritable bowel for instance it's so you know we're we're in that tense moment our stomach's been shut off because we're we're about to run or fight and if we're unable to relax it it means that when we go to eat our body's not ready or able to open up and relax and receive food into the digestive digestive system so by having some movement what we're doing and being able to concentrate on that movement whether it be a short walk or longer we're allowing our adrenaline to be shut off. So we go out of what we call the sympathetic mode and go into the parasympathetic mode that allows the hormone serotonin, that feel good hormone that we're always looking for to be released. And that's where movement is an important part of that. So you just heard Beverly explain her way of explaining things and I'm going to repeat some of that but in the way that I understand it but it's both the same thing it's just coming from two different perspectives different language yeah exactly so hopefully by hearing what you've just said and hearing what I've got to say then people will pick up on the the flow of the conversation and the, the bit of the science behind all of this and you know you can google this guys um, uh, Van der Kolk, Levine, Peter Levine, um, who else is there? There's so many different experts in the field of trauma that will explain all of this, what Beverly and I are talking about today. Hal Schubiner, so, he's a very yeah. good, yeah, there's, there's a lot of them. Loads of experts, isn't there? Um, so movement reduces the level of stress hormones, adrenaline and cortisol, which are both stress hormones. And as you said, when the amygdala's fired up, either from a perceived threat or an actual threat, but often it's the perceived threat, um, then those hormones are released and they flood the body and the body gets ready. So the racing heart, the tight muscles, um, the blood goes to the organs to protect those organs and the body gets into that contracted state, doesn't it? And all of that happens unconsciously in the main. Mm. Um, but we often need to be consciously thinking about releasing it. If we are in a state of hyperarousal, when we're in that state of fight, flight, freeze all of the time. Yeah. And many people that have gone through trauma are in that state of being. The body, however, is designed to be more in the parasympathetic 
parasympathetic side of the nervous system than the sympathetic. We should just be dipping out of the sympathetic. Yes. But those of us in trauma, we are often living our lives in the sympathetic rather than the other way around. And of course, over time, this has a massive impact on mental and physical health. Now, movement stimulates the production of, of endorphins. So those brain chemicals that you were talking about. And these brain chemicals are, the endorphins, are our body's natural painkiller and mood elevators. So they improve brain health. It, they help with managing our weight. They reduce the risk of disease, strengthens our bones and muscles, um, improves our ability to do everyday activity. That's what movement does for us. Um, and it's a way, as you've explained, Beverly, of getting away, um, a back in touch with your body, movement is, because movement is often um, a way for us to be in the here and the now. So yes. when we've talked about in the past about, you know, even if you're feeling really depressed and anxious, the best thing you can do is go out and be in nature, whether that's sitting in silence and just listening and watching, or actually walking, you're then reconnecting with the here and the now. So often people will say, well, when I'm depressed, when I'm anxious, or when I've got a flare up, whatever that flare up happens to be, um, the last thing I wanna do is move. The last thing I wanna do is exercise. The last thing I wanna do is just get out of my environment that I'm in, because I just don't feel like I can do that. Um, but the benefits of getting moving only happened when you get moving. So unfortunately, we have to, in times of when we're okay, is practice that as a self-care tool so that we can call upon it for when we are not able Absolutely. to get moving. And once we're able to recognise how different we feel and tap into that, yeah. that enables us to, when we're in the place that we need self-care to think, yes, I want that feeling. I want to change how I currently feel. But yeah. like you mentioned, like I've mentioned um, in conversations, it can be overwhelming. So we're going to yeah. break it down today into so what movement is beneficial. Yeah. Yeah, why it's beneficial, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So one of the things we were talking about earlier, and I've got in my hands right now, <laughs> I love this. It's a prickly ball. Have you got one of these, Chris? I have indeed. Use yeah. them in all my Pilates classes. Yeah. But even if somebody gets you a chair and you go and sit out in the garden, so you're walking from a, one of the rooms outside. Now, not everybody's got an, a garden. No. But, but even you know, a chair on the front doorstep. So going to an outside environment. Yeah. Once they're sitting and they're able to take everything in, even by being able to move within their hands. So a prickly ball is great because that's movement. Yeah. You're actually yeah. moving your body. Um, if not massaging your hands, um, doing the same with your feet, just generally checking into your body and moving different parts. That's as effective for some people as it is, say for instance, I choose to go to yoga. Now, when I go to yoga, I won't say that I can do absolutely everything and I'm not going for that, but I go in 
And for instance, even this week on Tuesday, when I was doing the class, I realized I couldn't do something I can normally do very easily. And then I realized how stressed I was. Yeah. So I took some deep breaths, relaxed into it, and suddenly I was able to stretch really easy. And it just reminded me, because we all need reminders. It doesn't yeah. matter how good you are. No. Okay, Beverly, what is it you need to let go of at the moment? Because you're here right now. Yeah. You're in Pilates and fitness. So do you want to share some of the different levels that you operate in as well? Yeah, again, just the same as you. So when I used to do personal training, I don't do it at the moment just because of lack of time, but I would literally have to see what the client was like. So I might have had a plan in my head as to what their training program um, was about to meet their goals that they said that they wanted to meet. But if the person walking into my room was highly stressed or their mind's not with me, then putting them through um, a program that was too strenuous or too complicated was, would just not be the right thing for them to do at that time. So I would literally sit people down, have a chat with them. How are you? What's your work been like? What's your week been like? How stressed are you? What else is going on in your life? What's your nutrition like? So I'd look at everything before we would even get working out together. And then I would literally have them either sitting in a chair, depending on what's going on and, you know, exactly what you said, what's their physical form like, or lying down and breathing for a few minutes first, then asking them how they felt, and then either following through with the plan or adjusting the plan because there is no point in beasting somebody or getting them to do something that their body and their mind is just not ready for absolutely I remember the days back in the 80s I am that age where you know I was running on adrenaline I lived on adrenaline and then I'd be going to um, keep fit classes where I'd be going just so that I could say that I've done it the exercise but I'd be watching the clock and I'd be pushing myself and actually it wasn't doing the thing I really wanted it to do and that was to help me feel better and that's what we want to break these myths from so when you're in that place and you can do more fantastic however if you're forcing yourself to do it what you're doing you're putting yourself under continued stress stress. absolutely the adrenaline is actually being activated even more yeah and the cortisol which we know is damaging over time yeah so actually it's working against it whereas for me even back then I used to love all the floor work and I always loved walking so now they are the two main things that I participate in is walking and the yoga the stretching part so it's finding what's right for you so There are some and you know, sorry, Beverly. No, that's okay. Go on. So every time you exercise, what you do, you're literally breaking down your muscles, you're causing tears. Yeah. Yes. And then the repair work afterwards is when you rebuild the muscle, uh, the ligament, whatever, and it's strengthening itself up. Yeah. This is yeah. what happens over time. So exercise is a stress on the body, but a good stress if it's used in the right way. But if you're 
amygdala is constantly being fired off and we're living in the sympathetic and not the parasympathetic side of the central nervous system as we should be you're releasing that adrenaline you're releasing that cortisol all of the time that tap is turned on your body is constantly in that tightness ready yeah that psoas muscle the hip flexors the top of the legs as you described it yeah they're constantly anchored down they're constantly tight you cannot unless you realize this unless you acknowledge it unless you work with it you will not get an effective workout what you'll do over time is just get tighter and tighter shorter and shorter muscles rounded poor posture you'll be training with poor posture and alignment and basically you will become injured that's that's what happens yeah and that's part of chronic pain as well because our body if we're going to push ourselves into an exercise that we we really don't enjoy or it's too much stress yeah. we're actually causing chronic pain and now when we say causing it uh, neurologically our body's like oh i'm gonna do that oh no i'm not I'm going to I'm going to cause a pain to actually prevent myself from doing it. So if anybody's suffering from chronic pain and they find that it flares up intermittently, it's actually a good idea to just write down when it happens and what were they about to do? Because it's quite yeah. amazing how my, how effective our bodies are for an alarm. And the amount of people that I know say no pain, no gain and work through the pain. It's, you know, I used to be one of those people. Yeah. I used to feel, no, I'm going to do this. It's mind over matter. Just get on with it. You know that you feel amazing at the end of what this hour of running or this fitness. Because I use fitness as a way to manage my anger because I just felt so much calmer after doing a class. And it almost became addictive. Absolutely. Um, and... But over time, I started using it as a way of not only calming myself down and getting rid of my anger, but also um, it became almost a bit of a um, uh, punishment. I don't yes. want to say that out loud, but I am. Became a bit of a punishment because it was like, OK, well, you know how to calm yourself down. You know how to get rid of this anger. So just go for a run. But then I would like, right, OK, I'll just do another lap. I'll just do another one. I'll just do another one until I was exhausted. So it wasn't just that endorphin high. It was take myself to exhaustion. And I know a lot of people do this, but it's very harmful, as we've already described, because the body will just lock itself down and eventually it will just go, you know what? Nah, I'm not playing that game anymore. So those days that you find it easy, Beverly, brilliant. But those days that you find it really difficult, it feels like you're going through treacle, be kind. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where we come into about come back to that checking in with ourselves. You know, there are days you can go off a long walk and you can be gone for hours. And then there's other days where you think, oh. I'm going for a walk and 20 minutes is more than enough. Yeah, yeah. But it's being able to check in, feel what's happening with our bodies. Um, and again, until we un understand that, that is that hard, hardest part. But it is about accepting and trusting ourselves. So just checking in. So, OK, today I'm not going to push myself so hard, but I'm still going to do something. I'm going to move because that really does have a change on how we feel yeah thank you for absolutely. you absolutely 
for sharing that because we've all done that. Jane Fonda, I think she was one that used to yes. say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but the amount of even clients now, you know, I've been 20 years in this industry now and I've only got to understand trauma and the impact on brain and body in the last, I would say, seven years. Yes. But before that, I, I didn't have a clue. But then I've gone through my, like you, if you can share your story in a moment, but I've gone through my own um, uh, hips locking down all of the time and I didn't understand why. Then obviously I've over exercised um, on top of sitting down for too long. So my posture was poor. And then I was expecting my body to perform in a certain way and it wasn't ready. Um, I was going through all the trauma and I didn't understand all of that. So my hips would literally lock down, but I was forcing myself to carry on. Then I've ended up with four hip surgeries, two hip replacements, da di da di da di da. So you can see the impact it's had on me. And now, because yes. I know what you've explained, because I know what I know, I, I work with it, not against it. And there's the key with it, with that working with our bodies and not against them. Yeah. And I think it's that word should. See, I don't like that word should because no, nor should do I. is expectation of others. Yeah. And we see different things. So that's why it's good to have this conversation about movement because it is fantastic. You know, I love walking. I have been diagnosed as a chronic asthmatic. So years ago, I was very ill, got rushed to hospital. And that's really when I, I mean, I used to do Pilates, et cetera, years ago anyway, but then I really realized, hold on, my lungs are a muscle and I need to learn how to breathe properly. Yeah. And that's when I used to go to yoga, first of all, it was to learn how to breathe in all of my lungs, not just the top yeah. bit, yeah. even the back of my lungs, because without breath, I can't do anything else. Yeah, absolutely. And when you go into a panic mode, when you go into that shallow breathing, you are in the sympathetic nervous system. So yes. you need to be able to consciously take yourself out of that and breathe deeply to bring yourself into that parasympathetic in order just yes. to take that perceived threat away from the brain. And this is where, before we come to an end, we keep talking about the conscious part of our brain, the yeah. prefrontal cortex. Yeah. The anxiety comes in our subconscious. Yeah. So it's only when that we start thinking about it in our conscious state will in turn will change the messages in our subconscious. It doesn't happen straight away, but it takes practice. And I won't go into all the scientific words and bombard everyone, but it will have an effect and it takes practice. And I remember taking three deep breaths at one time, <clears throat> holding and pushing out was like doing exercise. That was exercise yeah. in itself. <laughs> and well, now I do it, it is, without thinking. Yeah. It? Because your lungs are a muscle, your heart's a muscle. So you have to work it like you would any other muscle in, in the body. And it was movement. I was learning how to move my lungs. So coming right back to the beginning, it's that word movement. What movement is right for me right here, right this now? Time. Exactly. And, you know, trauma can make people physically shrink. Yes. So the fact, you know, you want to hide away from the world. It affects your posture. It causes you pain over time. So one of the articles that I was reading about um, somatic um, 
trauma uh, being in the body and how movement can be beneficial to all of that is just the fact that when you wake up in the morning is just to fully stretch claim your space in the world stretch yeah. and breathe and notice where the tightnesses are in your body can you consciously with the breathing release and relax that tension anymore whilst being supported by your bed whilst feeling secure in your own home environment and then to start practicing claiming that space when you're out and about when you're in a room when you're meeting people so rather than just sort of like um you know noticing and acknowledging how you are do you sort of like curl in on yourself is to actually stand tall and proud with shoulders back and down open chest lengthened up through your body so you're nice and tall within yourself I'm not saying five foot two people become five foot eleven, but metaphorically <laughs> speaking, lengthening up through your body and then just shaking yourself down to relax and then being open. So you take control and command of your space. And then that sends out a message to everyone around you that that is your space and please respect that. And even right now, there's a little check-in that people can do right now. So if they hunch over and they're making themselves smaller, like the fetal position, yeah. now try and smile and communicate with each other. You can't. No. Whereas when you pull your back, your shoulders back and you're looking straight on at somebody, yeah. now try and feel gloomy because you tend to naturally smile because yeah. yeah. you're communicating. And yeah. it's... And another little one as well, and these are all simple little things, your hands. So when you're feeling tense and angry, your hands naturally do that yeah. because you're getting ready to fight. So if you open them, really open them, stretch them, yeah. you're actually movement. And that's where you see sometimes, you know, we all do it when we get angry, our hands are tensing. And that's when our joints become flared up and sore. So yeah. that's where nice massage and movement in our hands are two. That's a simple way as well. So we we'll come to our thirty minutes really oh, quickly, we Chris. Already. We have <laughs> <laughs> anything you wow. want to share? Last yeah. last thoughts for you. Last thoughts. Yeah. Um, use movement to help and discover love for yourself rather than punish yourself. Absolutely. And for those who can see something dark at the bottom of my screen, <laughs> I've actually got one of my dogs on my lap and I'm movement because I'm stroking her, which is lovely. So it's beneficial to me and it's beneficial to Coco. It is indeed. So look forward to hearing from people as to what's your important or what's the part of movement that you enjoy doing. Yeah, I'd love to hear from people yeah. as to, you know, what they do do, what they don't do, and maybe what they think they might benefit from doing. Oh, I like that idea. <laughs> right, well, thank you very much, Chris. And you, thank you, everyone, for listening to Podcast 8, Movement and Its Benefits. There are a stack of health benefits for, for getting moving, which we'll discuss on a different podcast, but we just wanted to introduce the idea of, how trauma locks it all down and how we can open it all up again. Yeah. All right, then. Thank you, everyone. See you in the next podcast. Bye. Bye.